Amen. You can uh, take out your Bibles and the back of your uh, bulletin that you have, there's a place for sermon notes. And so if you could take out your uh, sermon notes there and there's a pen in front of you to write down anything the Holy Spirit would speak to you. We're in a series called Mission, talking about um, the mission of the church. Uh, the church is so important. It's so important because Jesus is crazy passionate about his church. I mean, this was his idea from the very beginning that believers would gather together in his name and in the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would do what he's called us to do. He calls us his bride, and we talked about that actually on the very first week. We, uh, we looked at that, and you can, you can go back and listen to any of these on, online, but we talked about how we are the bride of Christ, and I've gotten to do a lot of weddings, and uh, one of the things that happens is usually the, the groom walks in with the pastor, and so we stand down here, and when the bride comes through the door, or if it's an outdoor wedding, wherever she begins to come in from, she, you know, the groom sees the bride, and it's like, I can, I can like, go three, two, one, because it's going to happen every time, but every groom goes, wow, wow. And did you ever think that Jesus does that with you? You're his bride. It's like, wow. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. He calls us his family. We're the children of God. So we're part of God's family. He calls us his body. I mean, Jesus is anything but casual about the church. And, and this is kind of the, the theme for this series. And I'll just give it to you to be on the screen. It's this, that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. That Jesus had a mission for the church to accomplish. And that's what we're called to do. And we see in the book of Acts as we watch the early church and what they do together, they're always worshiping. And we did that a couple weekends ago, and that was phenomenal. We just were singing the hymns of the faith and just had such a good time in the presence of the Lord. I mean, anytime we get together, we worship the Lord, and that's so important, the idea of worshiping and teaching, which is probably going to be more what tonight is about, is this teaching and listening to God's Word and allowing it to get inside of us. We saw the early church and they were caring for one another, caring for one another, loving one another, taking care of one another, and then finally sharing. They had a reason to give. They had a a reason to go and to tell. They, they shared Jesus with everyone they could. And Jesus gives us a mission to, to go out and, and tell the world about Him, to, to be like Jesus and bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. That's our calling. And so tonight I want to look at this a little deeper. We, we talked a little bit about that marriage relationship, that we are the bride of Christ. Let me give you some other examples today, and, and that is that we are His body. If you want to write that down, we are His body. We are the body of Christ. That's what the church is called, the body of Christ, that we are Jesus' hands and feet to the world, that we're called to, to live like Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. Then not, not any one of us is, is all that Jesus has called. We're all together and we all are part 
of God's body, his body to this world. We are also, if you want to write down, we're his family. We're his family. We're his children. He says, you belong to me. You're not an orphan. You belong to my family. Galatians 3.26, for all the children, excuse me, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That we belong to God. We are part of his family. And a Christian that is not part of a church and not part of a body or a local church, they're just an orphan and God never called you to be alone. He called us to be together in relationship. And I want you to notice this in God's Word. This is so important. That every relationship between God and us, between, between Jesus and His church, when, when you look at all of the examples that were given, uh, that husband and wife relationship, the, the family relationship, that we're His body, all of those in, just entail a relationship. And so this is so important when we get together as a church that this is not a liturgy, it is not a list of rules, it is not just these requirements, but the bottom line between Jesus and his church, Jesus and you, is relationship. Every example he gives is an example of relationship. So if you want to write that word down, relationship, and that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight because it's all about abiding with Jesus, being in relationship with Him. We talk about our, our mission as a church is to connect people to God. That's more than just a slogan. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about that relationship, that you and I would be in relationship with Jesus, that, that, that He would be the one building the church. It says in John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are strong words, aren't they? Jesus says, as long as you abide in me, and I abide in you, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to do good. We stick together. This is going to be a good relationship. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He's the vine. We're the branches. Once you take that branch off that tree... And that branch is off the tree and on the ground, it's dead. Well, the leaves can still be green. There might even be fruit on that branch, but it's dead because it got disconnected from its source. And Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branch. This is about relationship. This is about abiding. This is about connecting and staying connected to me. Leslie and I got married 21 years ago, and we got married after knowing each other for 18 months. I, I pretty much knew right away. <laughs> Not sure that she did, but, but 18 months after we met, we were married. And we promised to be together for life. We just said in front of God and everybody, we're doing this for the rest of our life. And I could have said, cha-ching, all right, it's a done deal. We're married. She signed up for life. But that's just the beginning. See, 21 years later, see, it's, you can't just sign on the dotted line and then just move on with the rest of your life. No, that's the beginning of the relationship. Same thing with God. It's about abiding together. That's about my relationship with Leslie. It's about abiding together, being close together, just getting started, being close 
And that's what makes the relationship work is by abiding. And that's the same thing with God. It's about abiding with Him. It's not that you just said a prayer a long time ago, but that you walk with Him. That we relate with Jesus and that everything in our life relates back to Him. That our identity is found in Jesus and who He is. I love reading the New Testament because Paul never starts a letter without saying, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He always connects himself to Jesus. He never just says, I'm Paul, I'm a big deal, I'm an apostle. No, he always goes to Jesus right there in that first verse of every letter he writes. He connects himself to Jesus. The early Christians called themselves followers of Jesus. They they were, they were just connected. That's where their identity was. They knew the incarnation of Jesus coming in the flesh to this world, that they were now called to be Jesus to the world, that they were to represent their Lord and their Savior. And it wasn't about them. It was all about Jesus. At the cross, the only disciple that was at the cross was John. Well, John was watching Jesus die, Jesus uses just a few of his words that he said on his cross to address John. And John is there and his mother Mary. And he basically tells John, John, I want you to take care of my mom. He says, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. That's what he says from the cross. He's basically saying, John, please take care of my mom. Mary would have been taken care of. Jesus had brothers that could have provided and taken care of Mary, but there was this close relationship, this relationship between Jesus and John. He was the disciple Jesus loved. And that relationship, he said, I want you to take care of my mom. And what Jesus was saying to John is what he's saying to us, I believe, as a church. He's saying, look, I'm not going to be around forever. I'm sure Jesus is going to rise from the dead, and, and, but he's not going to stay here on earth. He's going to be ascended into heaven. And he says, John, I'm not going to be around very long. Will you take my place in this world? Will you now take care of my family, my mom and my family? Will you take care of, will you take my place in this world? And listen to me, God is asking you the same question. As an individual and us as a church, he's saying, will you take my place in this world? Will you be my family? Will you be my bride? Will you be my body? This connection of the church to Jesus is so important because before Paul became Paul the Apostle, he was Saul. <laughs> and Saul was really good at persecuting the church, of making the lives of Christians miserable. He was terrorizing anyone that followed Jesus. And as he's on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 to, to destroy the church in Damascus, he, he has that moment where he's thrown from his horse and Jesus speaks to him. It's words in red in your Bible in Acts 9.4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I think there's something beautiful about that. That Was Paul persecuting Jesus? I mean, Jesus has ascended. He, he's up to, he, is he hurting Jesus? No, he's hurting the church. If you hurt my children... You're going to hurt me. If you hurt my family, you're hurting me. And Jesus is saying, you are persecuting me because I am in relationship with those people down there that you are terrorizing and persecuting. Why are you persecuting 
me. We are his family. We are his body. And we are called to share this relationship with the world. That the church, or we, are called to be Christ to this world. And our influence, as we talked about a number of weeks ago, our influence is never neutral. The church's influence is never neutral in the world. Your influence in the world is never neutral. And so are we being Jesus to this world? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16 says, For we have the mind of Christ. He's talking about those that, that do what they want to do. And, and, and then Paul says, Now we have the mind of Christ, the church, the believers. We have the mind of Christ. And if we're called to be Christ to this world, if we're called to be in relationship with Him, and if we have His mind, His heart, the question becomes, what would Jesus do with me? If I have the mind of Christ, how would Jesus use my life? How would He live my life if He was me? What kind of husband would Jesus be to my wife? What kind of uh, person would Jesus be at the place that I work or where I go to school? What would change if Jesus lived my life? What does God want from our life? And just as Jesus came in the flesh and He showed us exactly who God was, we were called to show this world what Jesus was like. What would Jesus do in relationships? How would He influence? And so I began to think about this and, and think about His life and what He did. If I have the mind of Christ, if I'm supposed to be Christ this world, if I'm in relationship with Him, what should be some things that mark my life? If you want to write these down, you can. They're not going to be on the screen. These are just some things as I was meditating on it. What would Jesus, what would ooze from my life if I was like Jesus? And the first thing that came to mind is love. My life would ooze love because Jesus showed love wherever he went. To the rich, to the poor. To the religious and to the sinner, Jesus loved everyone. There was no one outside of the boundary of Jesus' love. And so if I'm going to be in relationship with him and be him to this world, I think, number one, I've got to have love. That's the number one thing. But I also see in the life of Jesus' compassion. Compassion. Everywhere he looked, and it didn't matter who it was, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on crowds. He had compassion on individuals. He just, he just had compassion. He had, heart for, he had a heart for other people. That was just who Jesus was. I look at Jesus' life, and I saw that he was one that healed other people. He was always looking to heal. He was always looking to make whole, to set things right. He was always wanting to provide whatever the person in front of them needed. Whether it be healing or provision. Maybe they were asking for someone else, but he was willing to do that. I see that Jesus always spoke the truth. He never shied away from a fight. He never said the thing that would make everybody feel comfortable. It's very easy, it was very easy for him to tell the truth. To speak the truth. 
If I'm going to be like Jesus, I, I need my conversation to be led by the truth. And what happened is that wherever Jesus walked, hell crumbled underneath his feet. The domain of the enemy just began to disappear wherever Jesus walked. And everything Jesus touched was transformed. And these are things that should mark my life. If Jesus has transformed me, I should be living this for others. Because if Jesus met other people, he always wanted to know that they were chosen and loved and that he valued them and that they could be his masterpiece. That he could sign his signature on their life. But there had to be that relationship. It always went back to relationship, to abiding with him, to being close to him. But what if we could be that to this world? Letting, know, letting them know that God loves them and calls them, chooses them, and has a plan for them. This is our calling as a church, is to let everybody know these things and imagine what it would look like if we lived like Jesus, both as individuals and as the church. It's not just something missionaries do on the other side of the world. It is for you, and it is for me, and it is for this house. And that is what our worshiping and teaching and caring and sharing should always lead to. It should always make us look more like Jesus. And what we need to be careful of as the church is a lot of times going to church can just be going through the motions. Well, it's Saturday or it's Sunday or it's time to go. And, and so we begin to just do what we've always done and it becomes routine. But I'll tell you this that relationships perish in the routine. Your relationship will die when you go through the motions. Don't think you've ever arrived. Don't think you've ever done enough. Just stay passionate. As Jesus is passionate about His church, stay passionate about Him. Stay connected to Him. And if we are like Jesus, we are going to have a passion for people. We always will but we'll especially have a passion for His people. We will have a passion for His church. As you look through the New Testament and the commands through the New Testament, almost every command in the New Testament involves the words, one another. That we would love one another. That we would encourage one another. That we would be there for one another. And we've seen that this week because sometimes there are times of joy. And when we laugh, we all laugh together and we rejoice together. But then there's other times where we weep together and we cry together and we grieve together. But if I say I have a passion for Jesus, then I better have a passion for people, especially his people. When I think about Paul, I, I just think that if there was anyone that could boast, it'd be Paul. Obviously, he started pretty bad as we talked about him being Saul, but but Paul tells us that he had a moment with God. And he had had several moments with God, but he had one moment in particular that was a, he called it a third heaven experience. That, that, that some type, and we don't know what it is because he won't tell us. He just, he just says that, that he was caught up in the third heaven and talked about one of those wow moments with God. There is Paul. 
in that moment with God. So precious, so holy, he won't even mention other than he had that experience. And here's what Paul says in Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already obtained all this or already have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I want to keep going. It's like, I, I've experienced it. I've seen Him. I've been close to Him. But I want more. There's more. What does He want? What is Paul after? It says in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want a relationship, the most intimate possible relationship with Jesus. That's what I want. And he says earlier in the chapter that everything else in my life is garbage. And that's a nice way of saying what he actually said. Everything else in my life is garbage. Because all I want is that relationship with Jesus. All I desire is abiding in Him. That's the heart beat of the follower of Jesus. That we would have a passion for our King and His kingdom. That wherever we walk, hell would crumble and Jesus would be lifted high. The kingdom of God is here and it's on its way. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for the day when Jesus is king. And he rules and he reigns. But until then, he says, I want you to preach the kingdom. I want you to spread the kingdom. And I want to tell you today, here on earth, wherever Jesus is king, there is his kingdom. And we are called as the church to spread the news of his kingdom and of his coming. And it says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since then, since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing or pressing their way into it. We live for our king and his kingdom. I want us to get a hold of that. I want us to understand that, that we, that we have to sometimes press our way into it. And a lot of times, we don't worship Jesus like we should. It's because we don't know what it means to serve a king. We don't know what it means to bow our knee in front of the person that holds life and death in the palm of his hand. We don't understand that. We don't know that in this nation and many nations around the world don't know it. But He is our King and this is our kingdom and that's why in worship more and more I just want to kneel before God because He is my King. And He is not a King that holds my life in the palm of His hand. He is a good King who loves me forever and is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of anything I can give Him. And so we go after his kingdom. Jonathan Edwards talking about this verse when he talks about forcing your way or pressing your way into the kingdom. Jonathan Edwards says this, pressing denotes strength of desire. The strength of desire. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. I want to be in his kingdom. And, and, and everything else is garbage. Everything else begins to kind of fade away. Other concerns seem to be small because my king and his kingdom is all that I live for.
And so we press into his kingdom. We force our way in. It's an act of the will saying, I will follow. This is what I am choosing. This is what I'm living my life for. This will be the strongest desire that I have. It's not just important. It is extremely necessary. And I seek my king and his kingdom. And I do not have a wavering heart, but rather a firm resolution that this is my life. This is what I live for. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, not just in church, but wherever I go, that hell would crumble and I would live for my king. And I'd be willing to fight for my king and die for my king. Because here's the bottom line, not just of the spiritual kingdom, but of earthly kingdoms throughout human histories. When empires rise and fall, when one nation conquers another nation, you never see a switching of the kingdoms without a battle. You never see a switching of the empires without a war. And so if we are going to say, we want our king and our kingdom to come, you better believe there's going to be a fight. That there's an enemy out that believes that his time is short and he's going to fight you on this. But it is willing to, uh, saying you're willing to, I'm willing to fight for this. I will live for this. I will not be stopped. I will lay aside every weight, every hindrance. I will count everything else as garbage for my king and his kingdom. Why? Because our world needs Jesus more than ever before. And we serve a king who looks at a valley of dry bones and breathes life into death. And we need that king and his kingdom in our world right now. He is a king that comes, that he loves us, that he takes care of us. And we must allow our king to minister to us so that we can minister to others. That we will abide in him and, and receive from him that we can give to others. Because when you look at all of the great men and women throughout history, there were men and women of God they all were passionate about the king and his kingdom. There was never anyone that was blasé. No, they were passionate. They gave their life. They were willing to fight and to die for the king and his kingdom. And that's the calling on your life. That's the calling on this church. And I want to let you know that you can do this. God has called you to do this. To live and die for your king and his kingdom. That he has chosen you. That he loves you. That he's placed you right here, right now, in this moment to live for him. Matthew, who doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, who's here tonight. Matthew is the fastest young man I know. I noticed that even when he was a little guy because he would just take off and like beat everybody. I'm like, man, that kid is fast. And then he, when he was old enough, started going, playing track at school. And then he was winning all the races. And, and he, every race he ran, he qualified for state. He just, like the first time, just qualified for state and did hurdles and relay and, and uh, different meters and all the different things you can run. And so, so he could run anything he wanted in state, but he had to choose. How many did you get to choose? Four or five? I don't know. 
four. You could choose four. So he choose, chose the four, and he, um, he ran in those. And, and, uh, and, and he didn't save himself. He just ran and ran, did all these events until they finally did to see who's the fastest kid in the state. And, and he came in sixth. And so I was so proud of him. And, and he had already worn himself out by that race coming because he had done so many heats and different things and the hurdles and other races. But, but he did so well at state. But his, uh, his relay, relay team from school made it to state. And how many of you know in the relay race that you always save the fastest person for last? We have a picture of Matthew running the relay, and this is him coming in at the end. And so you always save the fastest runner for last. Because if you're behind, you want that person to go and, and gain ground and take over somebody that's ahead. So you want them to make up what might have been lost in the early part of the race. So you want your fastest person at the end so that they can overtake and, and, and beat whoever's in front of them. But you, if you're ahead, you want your fastest person last so that no one can overtake you and you can build that lead even bigger. And so they chose Matthew. And you can see there's no one around Matthew as he runs in uh, in the relay race. And... They chose Matthew to run the last part of the race. I'm a proud dad. However, yeah, thank you. Yeah. This is probably really embarrassing for him, so I, I, I didn't know you were going to be there tonight. But, uh, but uh, here's, here's what I'm, I'm trying to get across. Is Jesus is coming back very soon. You look at our world. Man coming back soon. And he chose you to run the last part of the race. He chose our church to take the baton and run the last part of this race. Now guys like Paul who began the race got a good lead for us, but over the years maybe we've been falling behind, but Jesus chose you to run the last part of the race to abide in Him, to be close to Him, to be Him to this world, to proclaim the King and His kingdom. He chose you. He believes in you. So that requires us to believe in Him. Sometimes I think He made a mistake. But God doesn't make mistakes. He chose you for a reason and a purpose to be here but you cannot do this on your own. It all begins and ends in relationship with Jesus, abiding in Him, being connected to Him, because apart from Him, you can do nothing. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? And I want to pray with you. Before we go tonight, we're, we're going to pray for the, the big needs of our congregation, but be, before that, we, we're going to pray right now. And if you allow, I'm just going to wait on the Holy Spirit to see what the Spirit would want to say, how He'd want us to pray. Thank you, Lord. As we wait on the Lord, just make sure your relationship with Jesus is, is strong. Make sure it's in place. Make sure you're abiding in Him. And if, even if you're not, just come home to Jesus right now. Just say, Jesus, I, I want to be close to you. I want that relationship with you. Draw near to the Lord, and He will draw near to you. Just...
Just draw near in this moment. Thank you, God. The Lord wants you to know that when he looks at you, he, he delights in you. That you are his bride. He says, wow. That you are his child that he's proud of. That he has chosen you to run the race. So tonight as I pray, I'm just going to ask you to just begin to throw away those weights that maybe have kept you from running like you should. Those concerns, those things that Paul says they're just garbage. It's just a big pile of garbage. Get rid of it. Our lives and our church are all about the king and his kingdom. And his kingdom is one of love and compassion and healing and truth. His kingdom dispels the enemies of darkness. It sets the captives free. It breathes life into dry bones. Jesus can do that for you tonight. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we, we came tonight to worship you, to be close to you, to talk with you, to be comforted by you. We came to connect and abide with you, Jesus. And so, Lord, tonight as we pray, remove the weight, the sin, the garbage, the concerns of our life, and draw and knit our heart to you. Thank you, God, that you hold us and you never let us go. No matter how difficult the battle, no matter how hard the storm, you call us your children, your bride. And Lord, when we cry, you cry. And when we sing, you sing. You are our king and we don't deserve it. Would you take such good care of us? And so we are not ashamed to stand or bow before our King. Because you are good. Your love endures forever. And your kingdom, and your kingdom alone, will never end. Tonight, Jesus, we worship you. Would you stand and we're just going to spend some more time in his presence before we pray.
grace abounds in deepest waters, your sovereign hand will be.